for hard to give Cause the other part got broken when I was a kid And I wish I could put my heart on the shelf But it's hard to give it to someone When I don't love myself Hello everybody, I'm Jewish Jasmine T, and this is Help Me Name This Podcast. Uh, Today we're going to start what I think is going to probably take a few episodes, because we're going to read the manifesto of Elliot Rogers, Um, or sorry, Elliot Roger, no S. Um, I've never read his manifesto, and if you don't know who Elliot Roger is, that is easy to explain. So we have gone over what an incel is on this podcast, but I will do a short recap. Um, incel is a term for involuntarily celibate, and it's a group of men, a large group of men uh, that span across the world who believe it's women's fault um, as well as society in general. Um, that they can't have sex. So basically, they blame women and the patriarchy for their uh, bad sex life. And that's pretty ironic, obviously. They should, if they're, they're anti patriarchy, but also think that women aren't human and that we can't run anything, which is insane. Um, if you do want to know more about incels, um, you can listen to the past podcasts. They're labeled The Incel Dictionary, Parts 1 and 2. Uh, they're some of my best rated uh, podcast episodes, so I promise you'll probably enjoy them. Um, but who is Elliot Roger? That is a question we need to answer. So within the incel community, he's known as Saint Elliot. Yeah, that's his nickname. He is ba- he's a saint to them. Um, he killed 16 people in Southern California in a terrorist attack. He was who inspired the Toronto terrorist attack. Um, that man was also an incel, and Elliot Roger inspired him to do his act of terrorism by driving a van into a bunch of people in downtown Toronto. So Elliot Roger is a symbol of anti female establishment. He's a symbol of getting revenge um, to the women that have wronged you. He's a symbol of not taking no for an answer to the incel community. He is a very, very important person to them. And after he killed 16 people, he shot himself in the head. So he's dead. Um, But he left this manifesto behind. And it's 137 pages, but I would, I would like to read it because I've, I've been very interested in incels for a while now, and looking farther into Elliot Roger is one thing that I haven't really done, and I think that it's important to do if I'm going to call myself educated on this matter, since he is their saint, insanely. Um, so this is the first time I'm reading this. Um, you are getting my raw first time reaction and I'm going to do as much commentary on the document as I can as I go, which I'm sure will not be hard since I will never shut the fuck up and I can't stop talking. Um, so let's read this manifesto, uh, trigger warning. 
I suspect that there is going to be a lot of anti-woman language, probably transphobia and racism, I'm suspecting. Um, Also, general violence, rape, and likely domestic abuse. Um, Those are just guesses, though, but... So keep in mind those are guesses, but I'm guessing that those should be the trigger warnings. Transphobia is a huge, huge thing in the incel community. Obviously, sexism is the base of it, and racism is a huge base of it as well, Um, which you know if you listened to the dictionary episodes. So let's start. Um, Page one of 137 The manifesto is titled, My Twisted World, The Story of Elliot Roger. Let's do this, guys. Humanity. All of my suffering on this world has been at the hands of humanity, particularly women. It has made me realize just how brutal and twisted humanity is as a species. All I ever wanted was to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity, but I was cast out and rejected, forced to endure an existence of loneliness and insignificance, all because the females of the human species were incapable of seeing the value in me. Okay, so that's the opening. Um, I should also mention I have dyslexia so i am trying my best to read fluently my dyslexia has gotten a lot better over the years with practice um so my apologies if there's like stuttering or misreading or whatever um but let's unpack that so all i ever wanted was to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity if that was really true he would have if he truly did want to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity He very well could have. I would love, if you're listening to just audio um, and not the video version, love for you to Google um, Elliot Roger and see his picture. I'll put it here for the video people. Um, He's not ugly. Like when his picture started circulating after his terrorist attack, there were so many comments that were like, what a cute little twink. Like I, I would have banged him. Like where was he? And that's the thing, is he did not want to fit in and live a happy life amongst humanity. He was not forced to endure an existence of loneliness and insignificance, in his words, because it's just been clear after his death uh, that that isn't the case, that there were lots of women who found him physically attractive, as well as men. Uh, you do have to keep in mind there are gay incels who are in the closet, so that is a possibility also, but um, there's no way of knowing. There's no way of speculating on that. Um, And there's some really interesting language here to unpack. The last sentence, all because of the females of the human species were incapable of seeing the value in me. So he is an incel who is not particularly insecure you can tell by that language seeing incapable of seeing the value in me you can tell that he does see value in himself and by this manifesto existing you can tell that he thinks he's very smart and everybody should think they're smart well no not everybody people should have confidence in their intelligence it makes you more intelligent um he clearly sees the value in his own intelligence Um, 
and he doesn't see the value in the way he looks. He definitely has body dysmorphia because he does not see himself the way that he actually looks. Um, so there's some interesting language in that first part. Let's move on. This is the story of how I, Elliot Roger, came to be. This is the story of my entire life. It is a dark story of sadness, anger, and hatred. It is a story of war against cruel injustice. In this magnificent story, I will disclose every single detail about my life, every single significant experience that I have pulled from my superior memory, as well as how those experiences have shaped my views of the world. This tragedy did not have to happen. I didn't want things to turn out this way, but humanity forced my hand, and this story will explain why. My life didn't start out dark and twisted. I started out as a happy, blissful child living my life to the fullest in a world that thought, in, the, in a world I thought was good and pure. Okay, so let's unpack that now. Um, <laughs> he clearly has confidence. Um, he calls himself having a superior memory. That is a significant thing. Um, but he still thinks this tragedy did not have to happen. So obviously it was premeditated. He didn't just snap. It was a slow, slow snap. Um, I didn't want things to turn out this way, but humanity forced my hand. There's him again trying to say over and over that he didn't want this to happen. He just wanted to fit in. Humanity forced his hand. It wasn't his choice. Um, this is him trying to, clearly trying to convince himself of a lie. And that's a common trait of sociopaths. It's how they pass polygraph tests, actually. The reason that sociopaths can pass polygraphs is that they don't think they're lying. Um, they say something and think something enough over and over again uh, to the point where to them it's the truth. So you can see that here. Um, I'm not sure if he's a sociopath. I did date one for a good amount of time. Um, so I am a little better than the average person at, at seeing those traits, but I'm still not a professional. Uh, there does seem to be some sociopathic tendencies here in his inability to uh, see other people's pain, his inability to have empathy, um, and a lot of his language, and also his self-gaslighting, maybe you would call it, um, and convincing himself of these lies. So he probably does think these things. He truly doesn't realize anymore that humanity didn't force his hand. He's convinced himself that humanity did force his hand. Um, anyways, let's move on. Part one, a blissful beginning, ages zero through five. That is what part one is called, a blissful beginning. Um, okay. On the morning of July 24th, 1991, in London Hospital, I was born. I breathed the first breath of life as I entered this world, weighing only 5.4 pounds. My parents must have been filled with happiness and pride that day. They had ju just witnessed the birth of their first child. They named him Elliot Oliver Robertson Roger. I was born to young parents. My father, Peter Roger, was only 26 when he impregnated my mother, Chin who was 30. 
Peter, that's not that young. That's not that young. Uh, Peter is of British descent, hailing from the prestigious Roger family, a family that was once part of the wealthy upper classes before they lost all their fortune during the Great Depression. My father's father, George Roger, was a renowned photojournalist who had taken very famous photographs during the Second World War though he failed to reacquire the family's lost fortune. My mother is of Chinese descent. She was born in Malaysia and moved to England at a young age to work as a nurse for several film sets, where she became friends with very important individuals in the film industry, including George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. She even dated George Lucas for a short time. Okay, let's unpack that. Um, Okay, so... Genealogy and eugenics uh, are very important in the incel community. Uh, I've talked about eugenics before, um, but if you you can look that up um, if you don't know what it is, I'll put the a picture of the description here for video people. Um, but yeah, eugenics and genealogy are very important to incels. So. Talking about how he is a British descent hailing from the prestigious Roger family um, and how his mother was made herself important by moving to England and dated George Lucas. Um, he's trying to really bring home the fact that he had value. He's trying to convince himself. I think he's already convinced himself of his own value and convince the world of his value. Um, He's trying to make himself seem as amazing as possible from birth, you know, going, I was, I was destined to be amazing. I was amazing from birth because of this in my genealogy and women still didn't want me. So uh, bringing home the fact that he's amazing makes it more and more women's fault that he's a virgin. Um, So that's what that whole thing was. Let's move on. Uh, My mother and father had been married for a couple years before my mother became pregnant with me. In fact, her pregnancy was an accident. She'd been taking pills to prevent pregnancy, but she visited my father on one of his film sets. She fell ill, and the medication she took for that illness thwarted the effect of the anti-pregnancy pills, so their lovemaking during this period resulted in my life. Okay. Um, you can tell by some of the language here, such as anti-pregnancy pills, um, and the term lovemaking in reference to your parents. Um, I've never heard anybody refer to birth control as anti-pregnancy pills. I have no idea what's going on there. That's a little weird. Um, and I would never use the term lovemaking to describe my parents or, or talk about my parents making me. I it's a little weird. We'll move on from that. Um, okay. Only a couple months after my birth. Oh, sorry, one second. Is my audio weird? No, it's normal. Okay. Um, only a couple months after my birth, I went on my first vacation. My parents took me on a boat to France. I was already a traveler. Of course, I have no memories of this trip. My mother said that I cried a lot. That's a weird thing to mention. Um, At the time that I was born, my mother and father were living in a house in London, but shortly after my birth, they decided to move to the countryside. 
We moved to a large house made of red brick on the county of Sussex with vast grass fields surrounding it. The house even had a name, the old rectory. This was where I spent my early childhood, the first five years of my life, and it was beautiful. The memories I have of this period are only memories of happiness and bliss. Um, so let's unpack that. Uh, memories from an age this early, a lot of the time we can make good in our minds. Um, and I mean, I have lots of things ages of I mean I have some memories from ages zero to five but I don't think that I was able to grasp the concept of sadness enough at that point to have not happy memories really I have a couple but those are like traumatic memories um so yeah if nothing traumatic or abusive happened to him from ages zero through five then his memories will all be positive because toddlers are naturally positive. Um, let's just keep going. Um, my father was a professional photographer at the time, just in the stage of becoming a director. My mother gave up her nursing career to stay at home and look after me. My grandma on my mother's side, who I would call Ama, moved in with us to help out my mother. I would spend a lot of time with Ama during these years. This was a time of discovery, excitement, and fun. I had just entered this new world, and I knew nothing of the pain it would bring me later on. I enjoyed life with innocent bliss. I remember playing in the fields and going on long walks with Amma to pick berries. But my curiosity got the better of me, and I got stung a few times. There was a swing in the back of our yard which had many good times on it. The first birthday I remember was my third birthday. My parents threw a party for me in our field. I had a helicopter birthday cake. I can remember one of my friend's parents cutting off the first piece and giving it to my friend. I threw a tantrum because I was expecting the first piece. It was my birthday after all. My father brought me a toy tractor that I could ride around in and I would play with it all the time after that. Sometime after my third birthday, we all went on a vacation to Malaysia, my mother's home country. I have only flashes of memory of that vacation. I enjoyed it very much. We visit, uh, we visited a few of my mother's relatives. Okay, um, so just a couple comments on that little paragraph there. Try, he's really trying to bring home the fact that he has this amazing memory. Um, there's a couple of reasons he could be trying to do this, but claiming that he vividly remembers his third birthday party is a bit of an extravagant claim. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I'm not quite sure why he's trying to bring that home. I guess there's there could be a lot of reasons. If you can think of specific ones, then let me know in the comments. Um, let's just keep going. So, My preschool class, oh sorry, for preschool I was enrolled at Dorset House, an upscale all-boys private school in the countryside. Near where I lived I was forced to wear a uniform, which I hated because I had to wear uncomfortable socks up to my knees. I was very nervous and I cried on my first day there. I can remember two friends I made by name, George and David. I would always play in the sandpit with them. I didn't like school at Dorset House very much. I found the rules too strict. My least favorite part 
was the football sessions. I never understood the game and I could never keep up with the other boys on the field. So I always stood by the goalkeeper and pretended to be the second goalkeeper. Oh my god, what a little fucking prick. My favorite part was playing in the woods after lunch. There was a particular climbing structure that had a lot of fun that I had a lot of fun with. Um, what a little dick not contributing to his soccer team at all. What the hell? At least try. So clearly he's been just giving up on things and assuming it's everyone else's fault since he was a child. Let's take a sip of iced coffee. What the hell, man? Ugh. Okay. My preschool class once went on a field trip to the park where I had the misfortune of getting lost. Lost. As my class was eating lunch, I ventured off to another area of the park, and when I returned, my class had moved on. I remembered panicking and asking strangers for help. It was a terrifying experience for me. I was eventually led back to my class by the strangers I talked to. I remember one funny incident where we were taking school pictures, and they forced us to sit cross-legged, which I hated doing. I absolutely refused to sit that way for the picture. The teachers eventually conceded, and the picture was taken with me being the only one sitting differently. Okay, um, I think he was, I'm not, oh my god, I'm not sure why he's trying to paint getting lost for five minutes as, as an experience on par with real childhood trauma, I'm not sure what that is, um, I'm also not sure why he needed to add the thing about the picture. Maybe he's trying to force us to believe that he's unique, and that's another reason that women should like him, or men. Again, I don't know. Um, let's move on. <laughs> the holiday season was the best part of the year for me. It must have been very cold in England, but I don't remember the cold. I just remember how much fun I had. I was filled with joy when it started snowing outside. I loved playing in the snow. My father helped me build a snowman once. We would start with little snowballs and roll them around our field until we formed a body where we would decorate it. Just a quick comment here. He is mentioning every chance he gets how much land they had. Um, he keeps mentioning this field over and over. Also, no shit, that's how everybody builds a snowman, dude. Come on. How else are you going to build a fucking snowman? God. Pretentious. Okay. Um, During Christmas, my parents always had parties and gatherings. My father's best friend, Christopher Bess, who was also my godfather, bet he's real proud of you, came to our home frequently. We would go to my father's parents' house in Smarden, Kent, I would call my grandmother on my father's side, Grandma Jinx. My memories of my grandfather, George Roger, are faint. He'd fallen ill at this period. My father's brother, Uncle Johnny, had a son one year younger than me, who was named George after my grandfather. I always played games with cousin George in Grandma Jinx's garden. The two of us got along well. Um, okay, let me say, uh, George... Roger, uh, Jr., I guess, uh, I'm sorry that you had to grow up with him and now have to be related to him forever and have to be mentioned in this manifesto, um, unless you're anything like him, and then I'm not sorry. Anyways, condolences to his family that didn't choose 
to be related to him. On New Year's Eve, our neighbors once set up a bonfire party in the next field to our house. Again with the field. (laughs) I was fascinated by how big the fire was. I had never seen anything like it, and it astounded my little mind. This was the very first time I saw fireworks also. My father gave me one of those sparklers to play with, which I was enraptured by. There was one very special place to my father, and he would often take me there. It was the top of a range of beautiful rolling hills that I termed the London Hills because I thought that London was on the other side of them. We would go there to fly kites. I can remember these experiences vividly. Again, with the fucking memory. We get it, man. You have a good memory. The hills were full of tall straw-like grass and the weather was always windy, perfect for kite flying. It was a time utmost happiness and joy for me. My father taught me to fly a kite by myself. The wind was so strong that I feared it would lift up my frail little body and carry me into the clouds. Once I got the hang of it, it was exhilarating. We would fly our kites together and run with the wind. I will never forget that place. My favorite childhood film was The Land Before Time. Fuck! He just ruined the goddamn Land Before Time for me. That's so rude. Fuck, man. Way to ruin a good dinosaur movie. What a dick. Ugh. I can never watch that the same now. Okay, I'll try and move on from that. I used to watch that movie all the time with Ama. It was about a baby dinosaur named Littlefoot. I'm going to skip the part where he describes the land before time. Um, I remember feeling utter sadness I felt during the scene where his mother died and the triumphant and happy emotions that swept over me when he finally discovered the Great Valley after going through all the hardship to get there. I watched this movie so many times that just thinking about it brings my emotions back. It was a big part of my childhood. Um... So I think he's trying to instill in us that he has emotions and has empathy by describing how he felt um, and how he feels thinking about this movie. But you need to remember, he he's thinking of himself with this sadness, thinking about wanting to be a child again and not having responsibilities. Um, and this movie, he's crying. It, it brings the emotions back to him because it's about himself. Um, something like this would never happen in context to another person. And that's important to note. Already, a, oh my god, again with the fucking already a traveler. Already a traveler, I went on a trip to Spain with my parents. You're not already a traveler. Your parents fucking put you on a plane. That doesn't make you a traveler. I can't with this man. I went on a trip to Spain with my parents and my parents' friends, Patrick and Loop. It was the fourth country I'd been to at such a young age. This pretentious fuck. Um, We stayed in an exquisite castle-like house that I believed was owned by a friend of ours. The house had a tower I was extremely curious about. At one point, my parents and their friends ventured to the top of it, but they made me stay below because I was too young. I was sorely disappointed. 
as they were climbing the tower, I went outside to look at the cacti surrounding the house. These cacti also sparked my curiosity, and I foolishly decided to touch a cactus. I ended up getting cactus needles all over my hand, and it took a long time for my mother to remove them. Okay, I don't, why is that here? Shortly after my trip to Spain, we went on another trip to Greece. We stayed at a hotel near the beach. It was very hot there. The weather was new to me as I was used to the cold British climate. Uh, The trip to Greece was significant because during this time, my father received news of the death of my grandfather, George Roger. He died of natural causes on my fourth birthday at the age of 87. It was the first experience I had of the death of a close relative and the first time I saw my father cry. My four-year-old self could not imagine my father ever crying, and so when I saw him cry that day, I knew how shaken he was. It was a very sad day for all of us. We immediately flew home. Um, yeah, that's an accurate description of you know seeing your father cry for the first time. So nothing to do there still a huge pretentious fuck for claiming that he's a traveler at the age of four another sip of iced coffee okay I believe that it was during the time of my fourth birthday that my father came to the decision to eventually move to the United States He had just become a director. He believed Los Angeles would offer more opportunities. We took a short trip to California to gain an initial look at it. I don't remember much of this trip, but I do remember having a good time at the age of four. I, Elliot Roger, had already been to six different countries. Who can claim that, eh? United Kingdom, France, Spain, Greece, Malaysia, and the US. Oh my god, this fuck. Okay. He is either so insecure that he overcompensates by finding every little thing to brag about himself, or he is not insecure in any way and overconfident to a point where that's why he's confused that women won't sleep with him. So I can definitely see the problem here. It's not what you look like, man. It's your personality. And he will, I guarantee you, drive home the fact that it is what he looks like and it's his jawline or his wrists or whatever oh my god (laughs) okay uh uh, fuck okay it was during this time that my mother became pregnant again i was going to have a sibling my parents decided to have another baby this pregnancy being planned so that i could have a sibling to grow up with we later discovered it was going to be a girl before my fifth birthday my mother went into deliver the baby. I can remember that night vividly. I was very ill that night, a bad omen. Okay. I stayed home with Ama while my mother and father were at the hospital. We watched movies together. I was fraught with anticipation the whole time. And then my my parents came back that night with them. They brought the little black haired baby wrapped in a bundle. I had a baby sister. They named her Georgia. Okay. I have no memories of what happened on my fifth birthday. Shortly after it, we were making plans to permanently move to the United States. The news excited me, but I was sad at the prospect of leaving my life behind in England. My father took a short trip to the U.S. by himself to scout out houses. I remember talking on the phone with him while he was there. 
He told me he found a very nice house for us to move to. I asked if it had a swimming pool, and he said it did. This news made me very happy. And then the time came. We started packing everything up at the old rectory. On my last day at the Dorset House School, my teacher was giving all of us candies when my mother came to pick me up early. I said goodbye to my friends I had there for the last that that was the last time I saw them my father was given an offer to buy the old rectory for about 400,000 pounds um but he declined it a decision he would regret later on as it would be a worthy investment okay I cried as we drove away from the old rectory All the experiences I had there playing in the fields, driving my toy tractor, tending to the garden, going on walks with Ama, swinging on the swing, all those experiences were gone. No, they're fucking not. I was about to start a new life. We boarded the plane and took off to America. Um, Okay. There's not much to unpack there other than he's super rich, clearly. I mean, a house with a pool in LA is not... A middle-class purchase that is a rich purchase so not really getting any sympathy here Roger part two ages five to nine growing up in America so I suspect that this will be where his hatred of women starts um, around I feel like let me let me see if I can guess um, I think he's gonna have a crush on a girl when he's like seven or eight and she's not gonna like him back and she's gonna like giggle at him or laugh at him or something um or maybe his classmates will and it'll scar him for life um that's my prediction so part two growing up in america age five to nine the the plane ride was like a dimension between worlds i was about to enter a whole new world a whole new life but None of that went through my little five-year-old's head at the time. I slept for most of the journey there. I can remember looking out the window at the vast stretch of clouds below us. I wondered what it would be like to go down there and run run along them as if they were a landmass, not thinking about the fact that I would fall right through. Okay. When we arrived at America, I was very tired. We collected our luggage and loaded them onto a new SUV that my father rented. The image of driving out of the airport is still fresh in my mind. I often think about my first step into my new life in the U.S. I was so sleepy when we reached the new house. I didn't even bother to look around yet. That house was partly furnished, and we'd already had a sofa and television. The first thing we did was watch a movie. The movie was Independence Day, and I fell asleep at some parts but managed to watch most of the movie. In the morning, I was full of energy. I eagerly clambered up the stairs to search for my new room. I looked at all the rooms before singling out one that I wanted as mine. When I told my mother about my decision, she told me that room was uh, picked for my sister, Georgia. I got a bit upset, but eventually settled for the room next to it. So he's already putting in these tiny dots of, you know, of women just hating him for no reason, of his mother picking his sister over him, about women ganging up on him. Um, Of course, it was probably just a better room for a baby. I mean, that's not hard to think. He's really, whatever, we'll dig into that later. 
Um, the house was quite big with white walls and a beautiful backyard that led to a gated swimming pool. It was located in an upscale part of Woodland Hills. The town of Woodland Hills has great significance in my life. It would be that town that I grew up in. A large portion of my life experiences, good and bad, would take place in this town. I recall the first time I said the name on my lips, Woodland Hills, my new hometown. That's such a weird thing to say. That's super weird. Okay. Soon after settling into our new lovely home, we were disturbed by a problem typical of California, an earthquake. My mother woke me in the middle of the night, and we all hid under the kitchen table. The earthquake actually turned out to be very small, with even smaller aftershocks following it, but I was still scared. Having never experienced an earthquake before, the only impression I had of earthquakes were the huge land-rupturing earthquakes I saw in the land before time. After this experience, I began to see earthquakes as common minor disturbances. I mean, that's, yeah, typical California. Um, And there I was a young five-year-old boy with... Um, who has so far lived a happy and joyful life about to embark on a new journey, the journey of growing up in the USA. I felt a surge of enthusiasm at this prospect. I now considered myself an American kid, as I told my parents. I got accustomed to the American TV shows, and I started to adopt an American accent. I was looking forward to my new life. Soon enough, I was enrolled in my school. My father did some extensive school searching after our arrival, and he found a small private school on uh, Shaup Avenue in Pinecrest. I was to attend kindergarten there. Pinecrest, my five-year-old self at the time, could not imagine how significant this place would eventually become for me. A great turning point in my life. Eventually, um my life will eventually take place there a tragic turn for the worse but that will come in a later chapter in a darker chapter of my story when i enter my preteen years for now i was a kindergartner who was enjoying life at the fullest a kindergartner at pinecrest didn't oh kindergarten at pinecrest didn't turn out so well i had a very unpleasant teacher who was impatient with how far behind i was in my schoolwork as i had missed a couple months of school due to the move During playtime, this teacher would keep me in the classroom to do extra work in order to catch me up. My parents didn't like this teacher, and one of my friends recommended another school for me, a private school nearby named Farm School. It was named after the farm that was attached to it. After only a couple weeks at Pinecrest, my parents took me out, and I would not return again until middle school. Okay, um, he's been babied his whole life. A kindergartner doesn't like that his teacher is trying to teach him, doesn't like that he has to put in a little extra work just for a couple months um, to catch up to his classmates and his parents just listen to the five-year-old and move him. Very babied. He, yeah, very babied. Um, Okay. My first day at farm school turned out to be a good start. I had two teachers, and they made an effort to introduce me to other kids. There was one particular boy named Joey who they assigned to show me around. He was nice to me at first, but would soon soon turn out to be a rotten little prick who I would always get into fights with. He became my greatest enemy at the school. Oh my god, your life is not a TV show. Enemy is a bit of an exaggeration for a (laughs) five-year-old. Okay. 
The first real friend I made in the United States was a girl named Maddie Humphreys. Isn't that ironic? The first friend I made in the U.S. was a girl. She was a female friend. She was the first female friend I ever had, and she would be the last. Oh my god, you were five. Maddie and I started playing together at farm school, and eventually my parents became very good friends with her parents. Maddie's father is the famous British musician Paul Humphreys, Um, and her mother is named Maureen, though we would call her Mo. They had a nice house in the Hidden Hills. Our family got together often to have barbecues and dinners. I was a five-year-old boy playing with a girl my own age like any normal boy would do. I was enjoying life in a world that I loved. I was happy and completely oblivious to the fact that my future on this world would only turn into darkness and misery because of girls. This girl who was my friend, Maddie Humphreys, would eventually come to represent everything I hate and despise. Oh my god, I called it! Look at it, I called it! Um, Everything that is against me and everything that I'm against. I was playing innocently with this girl in the manner that all children's play. We even took baths together. It was the only time in my life I would ever see a girl my age naked. Dude, don't talk about five-year-old naked girls. When I think about the experience I had during my friendship with her, it makes me think ominously of the fact that all children, boys and girls, start out the same. We start out innocent, and we all start out together. Only through the experiences and circumstances of growing up, we drift apart, form alliances, and face each other as enemies. That is when wars happen. That is when the true nature of humanity rises to the surface. At this stage in life, of course, my war hadn't started yet, and it wouldn't start for a long time. I was enjoying life without a care in the world, not knowing that all my joy is destined to be turned to dust. My kindergarten year at farm school was filled with exciting new experiences, all healthy for a growing boy. I had friends, I had playdates, I socialized with other boys at school, despite getting in lots of conflicts with Joey. Drop it, man. He was five. Um... I only got into trouble once over a quarrel with another boy during playtime, and I was sent to the principal's office. Having never never been in such trouble at school before, I recall being overcome with nervousness and fear, which caused me to cry for an hour. I especially enjoyed arts and crafts time, and I loved when our class would go on visits to the school's farm. After a bright and joyous school year, it was time for me to graduate. I was swelled with pride as I wore my graduation cap at the ceremony. I loved that school very much, and I was sad to leave it. Kindergarten was over, and soon enough I would be in elementary school. My sixth birthday soon followed. My parents arranged a Disney-themed party at a play center that my mother had been taking me to frequently. I invited everyone from my farm school class, all the boys and girls except Joey. I deliberately omitted Joey as an act of revenge for being mean to me throughout the year. I felt a sense of satisfaction in doing so. Dude, fucking get over it. The party was cheerful and there was a man dressed as Merlin from Merlin to host the festivities. I, I don't know. I sat at the end of the table during my birthday meal wearing a wizard hat as my cake was presented to me. I felt only elation and glee. I took a breath and blew out my candles. Life was good. Um, so about the paragraph about being five years old, he had 
a friend who is a girl and he's able to go back into his memories and make those experiences out to be bad ones when in reality it was just a five-year-old girl also don't talk about naked five-year-old girls even if you were five at the time just weird man super weird yuck six years old my favorite part of the day during this jubilant period of my life was our afternoon trips to the park specifically uh serenia park the park was beautiful and green with concrete pathways cutting through fields of grass and a fun playground for us kids to play in Ugh. I always took to playing on the slides and sometimes I would go on the swing. Though my friend, my, though my father had to push me, I remember getting jealous of other boys who were able to swing by themselves, boys who were even younger than myself. It was the second time that I realized my lack of physical capability. The first time I had such an inkling of my shortcomings uh, were those disastrous football sessions at Dorset House. Eventually, my father got around to teaching me how to swing by myself, and after some practice, I was able to do it. Yeah, no shit. After that, I would always soar up and down the swing at Serenia Park Playground well into the hour of twilight. Okay, cool. I was very... Oh, here it comes. Uh, here comes the fucking genetics shit. I was very small and short statured for my age. I never gave this much concern during my early childhood, but... This fact fully dawned on me the day my family took a trip to university, Universal Studios. At the time, I loved dinosaurs. I was fascinated by them. I had just recently watched the movie Jurassic Park, and I found out that there was a Jurassic Park-themed ride at Universal Studios. I couldn't wait to go on it. I bet he's not tall enough for it, which is just a normal part of growing up, and he's going to make it out to be some fucking... Ugh, who knows? We queued up in line and waited for an hour. We reached the front and the park staff presented me with a measuring stick and I didn't fit the requirements. I saw other boys my age at the theme park, um, but it was forbidden to me. I immediately fell into a crying tantrum and my mother had to comfort me. Dude. Okay. Being denied entry to a simple amusement park ride due to my height seemed like only a small injustice, but it was big for me at the time because you were fucking babied. Little did I know the injustice was very small indeed compared to all things I'll be denied in the future because of my height. Dude, there's a height restriction on roller coasters so you don't die. You weren't tall enough to fucking not die on the roller coaster. The seatbelt wouldn't have been safe for you. That's not just a guy thing. I, I'm five foot two. I'm 21 years old. Trust me, any problem with amusement park heights, I fucking get, all right? I couldn't go on shit until I was 13. And you're talking about being six and complaining about not going on a ride? Dude, they were keeping you from dying. I get being a child and throwing a tantrum over that, but I don't get being a 20-year-old man and holding on to that since you were six and still blaming them for not letting you die on a roller coaster. Come on, man. Okay. We resorted to trying out the ET ride, which I was admitted to. I had a miserable time on this ride, however, because the dark atmosphere and the mechanically moving alien status statues 
that lined the queuing area started scared the hell out of me. By the time we got to the actual ride, I was crying in fright, but later calmed down as the ride turned out to be mild and relaxing towards the end. I enjoyed my father's get-togethers with the Humphreys. These get-togethers became a common occurrence in my life. Maddie became a very close friend of mine. She was the only friend from farm school who I continued to see after I graduated. They had a huge backyard, and the two of us would go on adventures. She also grew up watching The Land Before Time, and we would watch the sequels together um, whenever they released a new one. Sometimes I would... Uh, sometimes when I went to her house, she would have other female friends there, and I played with them too. I had no trouble interacting with girls at that age, surprisingly. My six-year-old self was playing with girls, unbeknown to the horrors and misery the female gender would inflict upon me later in my life. In the present day, these girls would treat me like scum of earth, but at the time, they were all equals. Such bitter irony. It's not bitter irony. You treat women like shit and objects and like they're a different species than you so they don't fucking like being around you man they don't women don't belong to you and they don't owe you anything they were treating you well because you weren't making everything about sex yet when you were this age you weren't having this secret agenda behind every move you made towards them and also Women are wary of men, and that's not women's fault, that's men's fault. 98% of sexually violent crimes are committed by men, so we have to be careful. We have to make sure that you're not one of those men before we really open up to you. You expect women to just open up right away and agree to have sex with you right away. It's It doesn't work like that, because we would we would just be fucking dead and raped even more often than we already are. Women don't owe you anything, man. God. It was time for me to start first grade. My parents enrolled me at Serenia Avenue. I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Um, elementary school which was just down the street from Serenia Park. I wouldn't remain at this school for long, however, because only weeks into my first grade year, my parents decided they were going to move to Topanga. Sorry again if I'm pronouncing all these California places wrong. Most of the kids at Serenia Avenue School would will end up going to Taft High School nearby, a place that will cause me great suffering in the future. Dude, no. Perhaps some of the kids in my class at Serenia will end up turning into those who would bully me at Taft. I don't remember any of the kids from my class there, so I will never know the answer to that. It's very disturbing to think about. Fucking, no, it's not. I quite enjoyed my brief time at Serenia. My parents sometimes made me stay an hour after school. I believe this was because they figured it would help me make friends. I can remember this after-school playtime being a positive experience. There were always games that I played with the other kids, and thus I was a bit frustrated when my parents told me they were going to transfer me to another school. Um, that frustration will soon cease because the years that I would spend at Topanga Elementary School would be some of the best years of my life, the last years of being a carefree child. Okay, I started the first grade at Topanga Elementary School a couple of weeks before we prepared to move to Topanga. Topanga is secluded, mountainous community surrounding a canyon that runs through the Santa Monica Mountains. Located between San Fernando Valley, 
and the Pacific Coast Highway. Okay. Um, we had only passed through this community a few times when we would take trips to the beach. It has a certain rugged beauty about it. On my first day at Topanga Elementary, I was very nervous since it was about a month after the first grade term started. I was going to be the new kid at school. I remember the nervousness taking over my body as my mother drove up a steep road that led to a school proper. My class was just lining up to start the day and we walked into the main courtyard. My teacher, Miss Matsuma, was very nice and understanding. My mother said goodbye and I got in line with the other students. The first kid I saw there was a chubby boy named Bryce Jacobs who was staring at me strangely. Um, I do want to say his parents moved him to a bunch of different schools a lot of times at a very young age. Um, that probably didn't help his social anxiety um, and definitely probably contributed to his inability to understand social situations properly. I don't know. Um, let's keep going. As we got to class, Miss Matsuma assigned one of the students to show me around and help me adjust. This student happened to be none other than Philip Bloser. Philip was always very mature for his age, and he was nice to me on my first day. He became my friend at Topanga Elementary. The day turned out to be of great fun. Class time was not too boring, and we did some fun arts and crafts activities. For recess and lunch, there were two playgrounds, the upper and lower. The first and second grades would go on the lower playground, and the third, fourth, and fifth graders would go on the upper. The lower playground was smaller, but it had some nice amenities, especially the sloping hill uh, to the side of it where I would enjoy running up and down and kicking dust, a game I invented and created due to the dust-like dirt on the hill. Okay. When my mother came to pick me up, I rec recall having so much fun that I didn't want to leave. That's the first, uh, that's a first. In the past, I was always eager to go home after spending hours at school. The drive from school, the drive to and from school is a long one, um, or at least long for my six-year-old self. My favorite part of the drive was the descent from Topanga into the valley. The view of the broad expanse of the valley was breathtaking. As it opened up before us after clearing the final hill, I would make the trip through the winding roads of Topanga Canyon every day for the next couple weeks before we moved to the new house. Sometimes my mother would pick me up, sometimes my nanny would. I don't remember the name of my nanny as she was only with us for a brief time. He, um, I don't know if he's trying to, but he's making his privilege and wealth very well known. Um... Okay. I loved the new house the moment I laid eyes on it. It was beautiful, round, wooden, uh, located up the road from Valley View Drive. It's the best part of Topanga. It had two stories, a swimming pool, and a lovely deck that provided a view of the lush mountains. I instantly named it the Roundhouse. I was sad to leave our house in Woodland Hills, our first house in America. I would miss the good times I had there playing with Maddie and my other friends in the swimming pool. The close proximity to Serenia Park 
where I spent a lot of time enjoying uh, the elations of a carefree childhood. Our new roundhouse in Topanga, however, turned out to be a worthy replacement. My room at the roundhouse was a bit smaller than my old one, but I remember it being very cozy. Shortly after we moved in, Alma came to visit from England. She baked my favorite peanut butter cookies. We had some very happy times during the beginnings of my life. My father's crew directing my father's new directing career was taking off quite well too. He would go away a lot to direct commercials for prestigious companies, leave my mother and my nanny to look after me. The only downside was that my father's absence uh, the only downside was my father's absence from my life. Despite this, I always looked up to him as a powerful and successful man. I think we can all unpack how rich all of that made him out to be. Um, sorry, sip of iced coffee. <coughs> my apologies. Um... Adjusting to my new environment in Topanga was quite easy for me, especially since school was so much fun. I was now a Topanga kid. During recess at school, I started noticing this boy with slightly long blonde hair, who also enjoyed kicking dust. Before I met him, I always mentally nicknamed him King Arthur Kid due to his regal look and hairstyle. It was only a matter of time before our dust, our dust kicking antics would collide with each other. What the hell? Um, when we teamed up, we started playing the game together, and it was the start of a long and interesting friendship. The boy's name was James Ellis, and he would become my best friend for the next 14 years of my life. Sometimes the two of us would join with Philip Bloser and some other boys to play fun games like handball, war games, and tag. Soon enough, I would start having frequent playdates um, with James Ellis. His house was just down the hill from mine. James's father was named Art, and his mother was named Kim. Um, became, Kim became my mother's best friend. Christmas arrived quickly, and for my present, I got my first video game console, a Nintendo 64. I had little knowledge of video games before this. I barely knew what they were. My father is the one who introduced me to them with the Nintendo 64. My father brought the games Star Wars, Shadows of the Empire, uh, Turok, the Dinosaur Hunter. I was fascinated with this new form of entertainment, and my father and I would bond a lot over our video game sessions. Of course, while playing these video games, my innocent, happy self knowing knew nothing of the significant role video games would play during a large portion of my life, and the sanctuary such games would eventually provide me from other cruelties of the world. For now, they were just a form of entertainment like any other hobby. Um, yeah, so this is a very common trait of incels, and I would very much like to do a disclaimer incels are almost always gamers gamers are not almost always incels i am not in any way calling the gamer community a a safe haven for incels the the general population of the world now are gamers everyone plays some t kind of game um so no i am not calling gamers incels i'm calling incels gamers there's a huge difference um it gives them 
escape from their real life, which they are unwilling to uh, take any accountability for. So, and again, um, I dated a very avid gamer who, looking back on it, had every trait of an incel other than being celibate. And he was only not celibate because of me. He probably is now. Anyways. Um, life was good at the roundhouse, but soon enough I had to witness my mother and father get into a lot of arguments. I was too young at the time to understand what they were arguing about, but I knew that they were not getting along. It didn't really concern me too much because every other aspect of my life was wonderful. I had playdates with James Ellis every week. Sometimes he would surprise me with a visit after school um, because we live close by. I went to Philip Bloser's house a few times as well, and I met his younger brother, Jeffrey. The Blosers also became good friends with my mother. They lived in a nice... Um, house up the road from our own with a deck that provided extraordinary views of Topanga Mountains. At some point, I learned about the possibility that my parents can separate, divorce, no longer live together. The prospect baffled my little mind. I once sat down with my mother on our outside deck and asked her if she and father would ever divorce. She told me it would never happen and that I had nothing to worry about, but I would I was relieved by that. Little did I know such a thing would happen in only a few months time. My first grade year ended splendidly. I made a few lasting friends and I had a blast um, at Topanga Elementary. I always considered myself a good, well-behaved student, so I was a bit disappointed the few times I got in trouble. My class had a system where if we do something wrong, we would change our card from green to yellow and then to red if we did any more troublemaking. I thought I would never have to change my card, but I did have to change it to yellow a few times for minor things. Um, when my first grade ended, I made the resolution that in second grade, I would never be forced to change my card. After my last day of school, I was looking forward to a long summer break, my favorite time of year, got no shit. I was a bit dismayed um, when my parents made me attend summer camp. My father had to go away uh, a lot for work, and my mother needed to have some time to look after baby Georgia. Summer camp wasn't all that bad. I had fun. It consisted of kids from first through fourth grade, and we played a lot of games and watched movies. All right, so that's the end of grade one. Let's go. Seven years old. My last memory of my parents being together was my seventh birthday. I would always cherish it. We didn't have a party for my seventh birthday, but more of a small get-together lunch. Maddie and the Humphreys were our only guests. We celebrated it at Gladstone's, my favorite restaurant at the time. It was in the Pacific Palisades, right on the beach. I had my favorite meal, lobster. I was, it was a very happy day for all of us. I was turning seven. That was a big number of my little mind. I had spent seven years on this fascinating world, and my life was at a good start. I had loving parents. I had friends to play with. I was having fun at school, and I had all the toys a little boy could want. A stranger would look at this seven-year-old boy and think that he had a great life out in front of him, that there is nothing to worry about. Indeed, there shouldn't be anything to worry about, but I was just a child. I still had a few more years enjoying life in a carefree bliss before I would eventually discover how twisted and cruel this fascinating world really is. Sorry about the audio. 
My parents seemed happy that day. I remember them laughing and having a good time. It will be the last time I remember them being happy together. Perhaps they weren't. Um, perhaps they were just putting up a front so that I could enjoy my birthday party. Yeah, no shit. Um, I couldn't even fathom the possibility of my parents separating. Very shortly after my seventh birthday, the news came. I believe it was my mother who told me she and my father were getting a divorce. My mother, who only a few months before had told me such a thing will never happen. I was absolutely shocked, outraged, all the above, overwhelmed. It was a huge life-changing event. My father was to stay at the roundhouse, and my mother would move to another smaller house in Topanga. I was it was arranged that me and my sister would mostly be living with our mother, and we would go to our father's house on weekends. My father was required to pay child support to my mother so that she can look after us. Uh, my life would change forever after this. The family I grew up with has split in half, and from then on, I would grow up in two different households. I remember crying all the happy times I spent with my mother and father as a family were gone, only to remain in memory. They're not gone. It's still your. Me it's still what happened. They're not gone. Your memory doesn't change. It was a very sad day. Um, just like the move to the U.S., it would be like starting a whole new life with a new routine. Despite the initial sadness I felt for my family splitting in half, my new situation wasn't all that bad. It was still practically the same life, though I lived with my mother in one house and my father in another. My mother's new house was small and red in color, uh, located up a steep driveway from Topanga Canyon Boulevard. I would call it the Red House. It was the smallest house I had lived in at that point. It only had two bedrooms. Um, I had to share a room with my sister, Georgia. We had a bunk bed, and I slept on the top. I was quite uncomfortable with this change at first, used to having my own room and living in a bigger house. My mother's kind and loving nature, however, made up for this, and she turned the household into a fun environment, which I enjoyed living in. This poor mother. Honestly, this, this man's poor mother, who doesn't seem to have done anything wrong at this point, seems like a very loving mother and her son turned into this to no fault of her own well so far uh the roundhouse was very different without my mother being there when we entered i felt a wave of sadness creep over me as if i was reminded of a life when my mother and father were together the house was full of memories happy cheerful memories that were lost in the past with my mother missing uh, from it, there was a sense of blackness and loss in its in its place. Father did his best to cheer us up. I could tell that he too was very saddened by the recent events. My father soon rented out one of the rooms um, of the house to his good friend Dan Pirelli, one of his friends in America. Dan used to live uh, close to our house in Woodland Hills until he was struck with financial troubles, which I'm assuming is why he started renting a room for my father. I would always call him un Uncle Dan. From this point on, Uncle Dan would stay with us as a lodger for a few years. All right. The, uh, the time to start second grade arrived. My new teacher was named Mrs. Weisberg. Um, she was very kind. The students, I'm very glad that he's not being anti-Semitic to this woman. Um, 
She was very kind. The students in my class were mostly the same as my first grade class, with only one or two new students who transferred from other schools. I made a few new friends, such as Shane and Tommy. I was very disappointed to find that James Ellis would not be returning to Topanga Elementary for second grade. In fact, his family would be moving out of Topanga to the Pacific Palisades, where they would be renting a house from their friends, the Lemonsons. Sick last name. Um, my father's stay at the roundhouse was very brief. He suffered some temporary financial setbacks on top of the divorce, so he decided to move to a smaller house on Old Topanga Canyon. It was a very abrupt move, and I would never see the roundhouse again. One day, he picked me and my sister up from my mother's, and he took us to the new house, and that was it. They are moving these children around a lot. Um, the house was a small two-story house in a more rustic part of the Topanga Mountains. The upstairs portion had only a bedroom and a bathroom. It was rented to Uncle Dan. All around the outside of the house were very small hills, hiking trails that led up to the mountains. Over these uh, over these hills was a massive, imposing rock called Big Rock. When I first saw Big Rock, I told myself that one day I'll climb to the top of it. I took a liking to this new environment, and every time I visited my father on weekends, I would always be outside exploring and adventuring. There were always new places to discover in that secluded region. I didn't venture too far into the wilderness, however, because of the danger of coyotes and mountain lions. After only a couple months since my seventh birthday, a new and very important person would come into my life. After father picked me up, um, and sorry, after father picked us up from school one day, he took us to his house. I saw a woman with dark hair and fair skin standing in the kitchen. She introduced herself as Sumea. She would become my stepmother. Father told me she would be living with us from now on. At first, I thought she was just another friend who was temporarily staying with father, similar to Uncle Dan. My father having a girlfriend so shortly after divorcing my mother didn't even occur to me. I couldn't understand it. Soon enough, though, I realized that Suma was, in fact, his girlfriend, and they were together just like my father and mother were together. It was the first time I learned the concept of having a girlfriend, and it was hard to grasp. Before that, I always thought a man and woman had to be married before living together in such a manner and it would take a long time for such a union to happen. Father finding a girlfriend in such a short time baffled me. I was completely taken aback. Because of my father's acquisition of a new girlfriend, um, my little mind got the impression that my father was a man that women found attractive, as he would be able to find a new girlfriend in such a short time from di uh, divorcing my mother. I subsequently held him in higher regard because of this. It's very interesting how this phenomenon works, that males who can easily find females, gar uh, female mates garner more respect from their fellow men, even children. How ironic is it that my father, one of those men who could easily find a girlfriend, has a son who would struggle all his life to find a girlfriend. I soon became accustomed to Sumea um, being part of father's household, she hails from the Akab so I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing anything wrong. She hails from the Akabune family, a very prominent family from the country of Morocco. Um, 
for the initial period for the initial period of her being a new member of the family we got along sorry about that alert um where was i uh fuck oh my god soon became someone part of the household she hails from the family she was quite fun um but she soon she would start to discipline me in a harsh way that i wasn't used to I felt that because she wasn't my real parent, she had no right to discipline me in such a way, so I rebelled. Uh, that's where the conflicts arose. There would be many more in later years. Along with the addition of Sumea, I had new nannies. The first nanny was a French woman named Celine, though she was only with us for a brief period, so I don't remember much of her. My second nanny was a German woman named Christine. Christine would stay with us for a year, and I became very fond of her. She would always look after me during um, my time at father's house and whenever I went on adventures into the hills. She always accompanied me. Halloween this year marked my first time going trick-or-treating. My mother took me to my friend Shane's house and we walked around his neighborhood collecting candy. Still obsessed with dinosaurs, I dressed up as a dinosaur for that Halloween. Trick-or-treating was a new thing to me. Um, trick-or-treating was a new thing to me as it wasn't so popular in England. When it was all over, I was amazed at so much candy. Even though James Ellis no longer went to Topanga Elementary, he was still my best friend and I saw him a lot. Mother would take us to his house in Palisades almost every week, where I would play with James and Georgia would play with James's sister, Sage. He got me interested in a new phenomenon that gripped many children of the era, Pokemon. I got my first Game Boy console and started playing Pokemon Red version, and I was hooked instantly, then collecting Pokemon cards, and James and I always compared and traded them. The Pokemon anime cartoon became my favorite show on television. It was a very fun game, captivating, fun, it was very fun, captivating hobby, and every boy at my school had a folder of Pokemon cards. It provides something to have, something to show off, something to talk about. The best cards were shinies, and everybody coveted them. Mother was still friends with George Lucas, so we got invites to the red carpet premiere Star Wars Episode One. Um, I always was and always will be a huge fan of Star Wars. Thank you for ruining Star Wars for everyone else. Um, I had already seen the original trilogy many times and considered myself very lucky to go to the premiere of the new Star Wars movie. It was an absolutely ast astonishing experience. It was just me, my mother, Georgia. Um, it was just me and my mother. Georgia was too young, so she stayed home with the babysitter. Episode 1 is infamous for being the lesser movie of the three prequels, but as a kid, I enjoyed it very much. Afterwards, I met some of the actors, and I shook the hand of Jake Lloyd, the actor who played Anakin Starwalker in the movie. My second grade year flew by, flew by like a breeze. I don't remember much of it, but I did have a blast during resets and lunch. I played a lot with Shane and Tommy. We would play Pokemon on our Game Boys, and sometimes we would have playdates where we played Nintendo 64 games such as Banjo-Kazooie, Super Mario 64, and Donkey Kong 64. I failed in my goal of never having to change my card, which really disappointed me. I went through most of the year without changing my card, but right when the year was about to end, I was caught talking in class with a friend named Danny Dayani, 
who sat next to me, and I had to change my card to yellow. I blamed Danny for it because he was always talking in class, and I still had to change my card. And there it is. Does he not see the irony of this? I was talking to my friend in class. I blamed Danny for it. That is perfect. That is absolutely perfect. Great analogy of his relationship with women. After a fast and fantastic year, summer quickly came a uh, summer came quickly with my 8th birthday. My 8th birthday was mellow but pleasant. I remember my mother inviting a few of my friends from my second grade class and we had cake. During my weekend at my father's house, we went to a restaurant, a Typhoon in Santa Monica to celebrate it. It was quite fancy. It was quite a fancy restaurant next to a small airport. They had a lot of exotic dishes that I tried. Um, eight years old. As I was now eight years old, father decided that I was old enough to climb Big Rock. Whenever I was at my father's house, I would always see Big Rock looming in the distance, and I was just itching to climb it. I had already conquered every other rock in the area, and there was only Big Rock left. And so I set out with my father and a few of my father's friends to climb to the top. The furthest that I had climbed on this rock was about halfway up with Christine. There was a very steep rise, which I wasn't able to ascend without some help. The second half of the journey was quite a challenge, but it was so exhilarating. I was very nervous the higher I climbed. The best part, of course, was reaching the top, the sense of accomplishment I felt. I finally did it. Looking down, I could see the vastness of old Topanga Canyon, and Father's house looked so tiny down there. I was too scared to venture close to the edge, and I felt a sense of dread at the prospect of falling from such a height. The way down was even more challenging, but I felt so proud of myself for climbing the rock um, that it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. I was so excited for third grade. Third graders, um, as third graders, we now got to play on the upper playground at Topanga Elementary, and I considered myself one of the big kids now. The upper was a vast, the upper was vast with a bigger playground more handball courts, more uh, four basketball courts. My classroom was located in a bungalow adjacent to the upper, and my teacher was named Miss Booten. Uh, she was a young teacher. I believe she was in her late 20s. Used to having very old teachers, I was surprised at how young my new teacher appeared. I continued to play with the same friends during recess and lunch, where we would spend our time comparing and trading Pokemon cards. In the mindset of elementary school, I didn't interact with girls much, but that was normal. I was at a period of life where the boys played with boys and the girls played with girls, completely separate from each other. Girls were the last thing on my mind. Maddie was still the only friend I had who was a girl, and I only saw her on occasions when our families would have a get-together. Um which became more and more rare after Maddie's parents divorced and Paul Humphreys moved back to England. Um, it, was a bit, it was as if the girls in elementary school um, were part of a separate reality. Despite not having much interaction with them, they treated me cordially um, as they treated all boys my age. This was fair and I was content with this. I hadn't gone through puberty yet, and so I had no desire for female validation. My eight-year-old self had no inkling of the pain and misery girls would cause me once puberty would inevitably arrive and my sexual desires for girls would develop. Ugh. Sexual desires that would be mercilessly, mercilessly 
burned. Some of the boys in my class would grow up to be embraced by girls, while I would grow up to be rejected by them. But at that moment in time, we are just innocent children growing up together. All innocence is destined to be shattered and replaced with bitter brutality. I was living in ignorant, innocent bliss, and I was happy with it. This period of life, uh, this period of life, aside from my early childhood in England, was one of the best child was one of the best periods. Life was fair and satisfying. As kids, proving our self worth, our self worth, and gaining validation among our peers was achieved in a fair manner. Keep saying fair, as if life's not fucking fair, man. Um, you have to become an adult eventually. By how good we were at games we played, or how big our collection of Pokemon cards were, no one had unfair advantages. This was perfect. This was how life should be, dude. And boy, did I have a lot of fun. James's family had to move, had to move yet to another house in the Palisades, and my mother would always take us up there. She became great friends with James's parents, Kim and Art. James and I would battle on our Game Boys, trade Pokemon cards, and walk to re- and walk to the recreation center down the street to play in the pool. And then for dinner, we would all go to the restaurant Mott's in the center of the palisades uh i was quite proud of my collection of pokemon cards i'd gained a few shinies over the last few months and i enjoyed showing them off to the other boys shiny cards came randomly in card packets our parents would buy for us the card that i coveted most would be the charizard card and one morning when my mother opened a packet for me i looked through my new cards and there it was it felt like the best day ever i swelled with excitement I jumped up and down all around the Red House, and I couldn't wait to show James, who already had a Charizard card himself. Though being friends with James Ellis um, and going to his house a lot would become... We became acquainted with the Lemonson family, who were family friends of Kim and Art. The Lemonson family was a very wealthy family who had been financially helping James's family for a while. Rob Lemonson, the son of Jerome Lemonson, was the inventor of the barcode, and his net worth was in the hundred millions. Rob's son, Noah, is our age and great friends with James, and eventually I would become friends with him too, though we would never be close friends. (laughs) Good for Noah. Sometimes we would all go to the Lemonson's house, also in the Parisades, and the three of us played together. Um... For Halloween, we went to the Lemonsons for trick-or-treating, and from then on, it would become tradition to go trick-or-treating with them. I dressed up like a dinosaur again because I couldn't think of anything else to be. I wanted to dress up as Ash Ketchum from Pokemon, but no store had that costume in stock. The Palisades was full of wealthy families, so the candy they gave us would be in much larger amounts, obviously. I remember competing with James and Noah as to who would get the most candy at the end. Afterwards, we would have dinner at Rob's house, and then we would dump our candy in piles on the floor and examine what we got. That was my favorite part of it. Early in my third grade year, my mother would often take us to the festival near Topanga Canyon Boulevard, where small concerts were held and people barbecued great food. A friend of hers had something to do with these events, and I played with the son of the friend. His name was Riley Annapal and he was two years younger than me, a first grader. I played with some younger kids there as well as peers of Riley, and I had a good time. 
Riley became a common friend for a while. The significance of this that Riley and Paul would eventually become someone I would harbor a great hatred for. Riley would grow up to get lots of girls, and I would grow up to be rejected by girls. But back then, he was a friend, a peer, and we were playing together as equals. It's funny how the world works. Is it? Is it really funny how the world works? Or are you just terrible to women? Because that's not super funny to me. When the holidays arrived, my father announced that we are going to take a family vacation to Samea's house, home country, sorry, uh, Samea's home country in Morocco, and meet her family there. And afterwards, we are to stop in England. I wasn't excited about Morocco, since I didn't know much about it except that it was north of Africa. And I wasn't excited about the fact that we'd be staying there for six weeks either, which meant my entire winter break, your winter break was six weeks? would be spent in a foreign country that I knew nothing about. Oh, boo-hoo. But of course, I had no choice in the matter. Morocco was added to the list of many countries I've been to at such a young age. Ugh. I looked forward to visiting England afterwards and seeing my family there. Morocco was very strange and foreign to me, um, even more so than Malaysia, which was more westernized. I found it to be very backwards, though it had lots of culture and the people were friendly. I remember disliking a lot of the meals, but enjoying the desserts and pastries. Sumeya's parents were divorced, though they lived together, though they lived walking distance from each other in Kabash, a historic community located in the center of Tangier. Sumeya's mother, Khadija, had a small, elegant house, and her father, Ad Salem, had a very large, almost castle-like house that is famous for being a location where a scene from James Bond, The Living Daylights, was shot. This fascinated me, as I was a huge James Bond fan at the time. In the center of the house, there was an open courtyard where I played as a kid, um, where I played with a kid named Aman and his two younger brothers. They were adopted by Sumeya's father a few years ago and lived with him. After a long stay in Morocco, too long in my opinion, we made our stop in England to visit our relatives. We stayed at Grandma Jinx's house, and I was able to play with my cousin George for a few days. On one of the days we stayed in England, my mother's sister, Aunt Min, and my grandma, Alma, came to visit and brought me a lot of English chocolates, which I relished. All in all, it was a good trip, and I was glad to be able to experience it, though the length of the trip cut into my school schedule and I missed a couple weeks of school. Okay, that makes more sense. Winter break isn't six weeks. <laughs> um, after holiday season, my nanny Christine had to leave back to Germany and this saddened me deeply. Christine would always be my favorite nanny and I was in a sullen mood on the day she left. The remainder of my third grade year went by the remainder of my third grade year went by quickly. I continued my Pokemon endeavors, increasing my card collection, and progressing on uh, the Game Boy. I had a conflict with my friend Shane during this time because some arguments we previously had. I started to play with him um, in which he would become... What? I started to play a game with him in which he would become my enemy and rival at the school. For me, I was just playing with him, but he took it seriously, and the conflict escalated to a lot more than I thought it would. Once we got into a small physical fight in which I hit him on the arm, 
um, and was sent to the principal's office. That was the biggest trouble I've ever been in at Topanga Elementary, and the conflict with Shane lasted for the rest of third grade, but we would later reconcile and play again as friends in the fourth grade. Um, it sounds like Shane probably didn't take it too far, and you're under-describing your accountability in the situation, which is what you do with everything in your life, so not shocking. Before summer came my father's spontaneous career as a commercial director. Oh, sorry. Before summer came, my father's spontaneous career as a commercial director took off once again. He became very successful. At this point, he was probably the most successful he'd ever been. With this success, he decided to move to a bigger and better house. After doing some searching, we moved to a house in, uh, in an upscale area of West Hills near Woodland Hills. I loved this house at first sight. It had five bedrooms, which was more than enough space for our family, along with Uncle Dan, who was still staying with us. It also had a huge swimming pool, a spa, a large grass field to play in, a basketball court, and a nice view of the valley. I was a valley kid again. Despite father's move to a much... That was probably loud to headphone users, sorry. Um, despite father's move to a much larger house and all the benefits that came with it, I still preferred my time at my mother's house just because of her gentle and fun attitude and the energy of her household. My mother indulged me more than my father and Samoya ever did. Sumeya, sorry, ever did. She knew I liked... Uh, she knew I liked... What? She knew what I liked and what annoyed me with the recent decision between my mother and father to extend my father's to ex oh, sorry i was quite annoyed with the recent decision between my mother and father to extend my stay at father's by two days of the week from that point on me and my sister would go to my mother's house from monday to thursday and on thursday night we would go to my father's until the following monday my ninth birthday was spent at father's house and father and Sumeya threw a party for me. They invited a few of my friends from Topanga Elementary, though my only friend I remember being there was Philip and his younger brother, Jeffrey. James was invited, but he wasn't able to make it. They also invited a few of Georgia's friends, which really annoyed me since it was my birthday, not Georgia's. It was quite an eventful party. It took place in the backyard. My father hired a magician to perform tricks for everyone. Nine years old. My ninth year is very interesting, and I went through a lot of changes emotionally and intellectually. By the year in which I matured to the point I would start observing the world more concisely. I fucking called it. I bet this is the year that he has a crush on a girl who doesn't like him and decides that it's her fault. Before I turned nine, I was living a carefree childhood in a world that I thought was only good and pure. From this point onwards, I would gradually discover more and more of the world and society. I would face problems and frustrations that I wouldn't even think about before. My life was still positive and bright, however, and I would live it to its fullest. Uh, the first frustration of the year would remain for the rest of my life. The fact that I was very short for my age. Oh my god, dude. As the fourth grade started, I fully dawned on me that I was the shortest kid in my class. Even the girls were taller than me in the past. I rarely gave a thought to it, but at this stage, I was extremely annoyed at how everyone was taller than me and how the tallest boys were automatically respected more. It instilled the first feelings of inferiority in me, and such feelings would only grow more volatile. So, 
Um, as somebody who grew up with being short and also looking different than the rest of the kids in my, you know, class and school, um, if you feel inferior for these things, you can either wallow in it and grow more volatile, or you can find ways to, I guess I would say, compensate for that. I, you know, knew I was shorter and looked different, and, you know, all the boys had crushes on my uh, whiter friends, my friends who, you know, were snow whitey, and I'm, uh, I'm not sure if I'm white passing. I'm def, I mean, it, I don't think I'm, I don't think anyone would look at me and go, she's not mixed with anything. Um, but I'm white passing to an extent, but not a, mm, that's a lie. The experience that I've had in my life has not made me see myself as white passing at all. Um, so as somebody who grew up looking different than everyone in her class and being shorter, um, I compensated by becoming this person. I grew very deeply entrained in my interests. Um, and I wanted other people to not go through what I was going through. I became really interested in social justice when I was around nine. That's when I started um, finding my activism as an outlet. So yeah, you could grow more volatile and blame the tall boys for the respect they were garnering, or you could garner respect from something else. I remember having a crush on a boy um, because, oh my god, I don't think anybody that knows me too well will listen to this. I remember having a crush on a boy because he was the, like, he wrote these little cartoons and would photocopy them and sell them for, like, a quarter a piece, um, him and his friend. And I remember having a crush on him because I thought he was so funny and he was such a good drawer, very good at drawing. Um, girls don't just like the boys who are tall. Um, the girls that do end up being the girls that you probably didn't want to date anyways. Um, girls with interests and who have a lot to talk about, um, a lot of the time don't see men as their height. Um, again, my first crush on a boy was because of his drawing ability and how funny he was. So, um, yeah, you could grow volatile and bitter about the tall boys garnering respect, or you could garner as much respect by finding an interest that other kids respect as well. Um, for me, I got so deeply entrenched in social justice and that wasn't popular with my peers, but it was still what I wanted to do. And I ended up not really caring about garnering the respect of my peers. I ended up caring about garnering the respect, the respect of adults as a nine-year-old, um, I was frustrated that adults didn't take me seriously when I talked about these serious issues. So my focus became garnering the respect of adults and having adults see me as, um, as intellectual and worthy of listening to. So I ended up not really caring about what kids thought about me. Um, but I could have picked 
a more kid-friendly, more popular thing to entrench myself in to gain respect. Um, You had options, dude, Mr. Roger. You had crazy amounts of options to garner respect from your peers. You just didn't take them. Let's keep reading this. (laughs) I desperately wanted to get taller. I read that playing basketball increases height. What? It sparked my brief interest in basketball, and I would play it all the time during recess and lunch in the upper. Most of the basketball courts were unused, so I would play by myself or with anyone who cared to join me. Um, During time at my father's, I would spend hours at father's basketball court. His father had a fucking basketball court. Shooting hoop after hoop long into the evening, I also remember lying on the ground in the basketball court, trying to stretch my body as much as I could between basketball sessions. When I played basketball at school, some boys would join me. Um, And when they did, I saw that they were much better at the sport than me. I envied their ability to throw a to throw it double the distance than I could. This made me realize along with being short, I was physically weak compared to other boys my age, even younger than me, or stronger. This vexed me to no end. Oh my god. This vexed me to no end. My brother and I grew up as gymnasts. My brother is 14 months younger than me, so um, you know, not that much younger, but when you're a kid, that's that's quite a bit younger. At the moment, he's 20 and I'm 21. Um, so we're not that far apart, but we're still far enough apart that, you know, he, he was always better than me at our sport. Um, and this could have vexed me and caused me to quit my sport. Um, but I didn't do my sport to, for these vain reasons. I wasn't a gymnast to get taller. I don't know how he thinks a sport could make him taller. I wasn't a gymnast to garner respect or to beat anyone. I was a gymnast because I enjoyed what I was doing. Um, And my brother being better at it than me didn't make it any less fun for me at all. You know, my brother went on to be a professional gymnast going to, you know, internationals, worlds, um, and, you know could even make it to the Olympic trials one day. He's still an active athlete um, at 20, which most gymnasts, especially, I mean, more female gymnasts, but most gymnasts don't make it to being a 20-year-old athlete. Um, He's way more naturally gifted than me in the athletic side of things. and he's super smart too. He just has that athletic uh, gain, a step up on me. Um, that didn't vex me. I had just as much fun um, doing the sport. It didn't. It didn't make me hate him. That he was better at gymnastics than me. It was fun. It was fun even that he was better than me sometimes, because um, I had somebody who shared my interest that lived in the same house as me. We could play on the trampoline together and it would actually be like interesting and more fun for me than him probably because he was doing stuff that I couldn't do on the trampoline. Um, So it was fun for me. There's so many ways to go through life and uh, 
just already this is so hard to read um okay my fourth grade classroom was located in the center area of the school my teacher was named mrs gill she had an assistant named mr divine fourth grade was a strange year due to the emotional problems i would go through I didn't have as much fun at school as I did previous years. In class, I sat near Keaton Weber. I got in a few conflicts with him. We weren't quite enemies, but I disliked him intensely and would always consider, consider him a foul prick. Nice. By nature, I'm a very jealous person. No shit. Um, and at the age of nine, my jealous nature sprung to the surface. During playdates with James... Sometimes he would have other friends over as well, and I would feel very jealous and upset that he paid more attention to them, feeling left out. I would find a quiet corner and start crying. My mother and Kim were very understanding and did the best they could to console me. On a rare occurrence, my mother would have Maddie and Mo over for dinner if we would go to visit them at their house. Maddie often played with my little sister Georgia instead of me, and this too made me jealous. I remembered all the times I cried when this happened. Jealousy and envy. Those are two feelings that would dominate my entire life and bring me immense pain. The feeling of jealousy at nine years old was frustrating, but they were nothing compared to how I would feel once I hit puberty and had to watch girls choosing other boys over me. Oh my god. Any problem I had at nine years old was no nirvana compared to the doom I faced. Oh my god. I can't even comment on any of that. These are going to be, like, double-time episodes, clearly. Um, a few months into fourth grade, I was, uh, it was decided that my parents, it was decided by my parents to change me and my sister's living arrangement yet again. This time, it would be switching between mother and father's house once a week. Um, one week would be spent at my mother's, the next at my father's. This was a fair split. At first, I wasn't sure about it because I always disliked the change to my life, but I found it to be a better arrangement. This enabled me to spend weekends at my mother's house during her week, and I was very excited about this. I'd only ever spent weekends at my father's beforehand. During father's week, I would most like I would mostly be looked after by our two nannies, Rosa and Apero. They were uh, of South American origin and didn't speak much English, but they were very kind. I started to have these intense conflicts with Samea, his father's girlfriend. I hated the rules she imposed on me, which I believe she had no right to impose. She wasn't my true parent. I hated how she would force me to drink milk every morning and found um, and very foul-tasting soup for dinner. I made such a fuss about having the soup that she used it as punishment. Whenever I did something wrong, she would force me to drink the soup. I, ha I once had a playdate with Philip's father's at Philip's father's house, and when I yelled at my sister because she was annoying us, Sumeya punished me by sending me to my room for an hour, embarrassing me in front of Philip. After this incident, I never had a playdate at father's house again. This kid is such a fucking pussy. Jesus. I never used that term. But this kid is such a fucking pussy. Jesus Christ, dude. You got sent to your room when you were nine? Cry me a goddamn ocean. My God, I need some iced coffee. Get the fuck over it. There's kids who are abused legitimately their whole childhood. 
you're com- complaining about your nanny sending you to your room, your multiple nannies in your five bedroom house with a basketball court. Honestly, fuck off. <sighs> okay. This conflict with Sumeya started a trend in which I would love being at mother's house and dread the weeks I had to spend at father's house. On top of the conflicts with Sumeya, father was rarely there and he was always out of town for work. After spending a nice week at mother's house, I would cry when Sunday came and I had to go to father's on Monday. That's typical for divorced parents. Most children like their mother's house a lot better. Um, I would then spend the entire week at father's house looking forward to going back to mother's. I remember those Mondays when my mother dropped me off at school for the first day of father's week. I felt so sad that I cried when I saw my mother driving away. Of course, I would hide the tears and avoid embarrassment at school, but I would feel miserable the whole day. I always had a pleasant experience during Mother's Week. She always arranged playdates for me because she knew I was too shy to initiate them myself. That's really sweet of her. She really tried, guys, to make this kid normal. She, so far, seems like a a very good parent. Arranging playdates for your kid because you know they're too shy to initiate it, I think that's one of the most effective and important ways of helping your shy child. That's very sweet. I feel so bad for this woman. She always made everything fun on weekends after dinner. We would have treat time or she would bring a box of candies for me and my sister to choose from. I had a lot of playdates with Philip and though Philip and I also played with his brother Jeffrey who was two years younger than us. While Philip was calm and mature, Jeffrey was the complete opposite. Jeffrey Blozer was a wired what Jeffrey Blozer was wild and boisterous, which often brought a lot of fun to my playdates with Philip. My mother once had a party at her house and invited all of our family friends. James Ellis came over, and so did Philip and Jeffrey. It was the first time I saw all of them together, and it made for an interesting experience. I got a bit jealous, however, when Philip and Jeffrey st- seemed to respect and pay more attention to James than they did to me. When we were playing on my Nintendo 64 and I was competing against James, they rooted for James, which really upset me. Oh my god, this guy's such a fucking pussy. As my fourth grade year approached its end, my little nine-year-old self had another revelation about how the world works. I realized that there were hierarchies and that some people were better than others. Of course, I subsequently was aware of this in the past. Oh, sorry, subconsciously was aware of this in the past. Um, But at this time in my life, at nine years old, uh, I started to give a lot of thought to its importance. I started to see this at school. Um, There was always the cool kids who seemed to be more admirable than everyone else. They always looked, dressed, and acted in ways that made them cooler. These cool kids, as I called them, included Keaton Weber, Matt Boyder, Michael Ray, Trevor Borgo, Zalman Katz, uh, John, Joe Glenn, and a few more. They were cool, they were popular, and they always seemed like they were having a good time. The peaceful and innocent environment of childhood where everyone had an equal footing was all over. The time of fair play was at an end. Life is a competition and a struggle, and I was slowly starting to realize it. This guy has absolutely no fucking grip on reality. This is incredible. 
When I became aware of this common social structure at my school, I also started to examine myself and compare myself to the cool kids, like everyone else. No shit. I realized with some horror that I wasn't cool at all. I had a dorky hairstyle. I wore plain and uncool clothing. I was shy and unpopular. I was always described as the shy boy in the past, but I never really thought my shyness would affect me in a negative way until this point. This revelation about the world and about myself really uh, decreased my self-esteem. On top of this was a feeling that I was different because of my mixed race. I'm half white, half Asian, and this made me different from the normal, fully white kids that I was trying to fit in with. Um, I envied the cool kids and wanted to be one of them. I was a bit frustrated at my parents for not shaping me into one of these kids in the past. They never made an effort to dress me in stylish clothing or get me a good haircut. Uh, I had to make effort to rectify this. I had to adapt. My first act was to ask my parents to allow me to bleach my hair blonde. I always admired blonde-haired people. They always seemed to be so much more beautiful. My parents agreed to let me do it. My father took me to a salon in Mulholland Drive in the Woodland Hills. Choosing that hair salon was a bad decision, for they only bleached the top of my head blonde. When I indignantly questioned why they didn't make all of my hair blonde, they said I was too young for a full bleaching. Yeah, I was furious. I thought I looked silly with blonde hair at the top of my head and black hair at the sides and back. I dreaded going to school the next day with this weird hair. When I arrived at school the next day, I was intensely nervous before class. I stood in the corner frantically crying. Um trying to figure out how I would go about revealing this to everyone. Trevor was the first to notice it. He came up to me and patted my head, saying it was very cool. Well, that was exactly what I wanted. My new hair turned out to be quite a spectacle. For a few days, I got a hint of attention and admiration I craved. My interest in Pokemon faded away at this time. In third grade, Pokemon was considered cool and everyone was playing it. Towards the end of fourth grade, I found out everyone was growing out of Pokemon, and the only ones who played it were the geeky kids. I heard some kids joking about how lame Pokemon players were, and I decided it was time to quit. I talked to James about this. He was interested in Pokemon, so I gave him my Charizard card as a gift and as an act of resignation from the game. Pokemon gave me some really happy, memorable experiences, but it was time to move on. I then started to notice um, all the cool kids were interested in skateboarding. I had never even ridden on a skateboard before, but I wanted to be cool. I had to become a skateboarder. I expressed this to my parents, and my father was glad that I was showing interest in an active sport. He took me to the store Val Surf on Ventura Boulevard. Uh, to buy a new skateboard, and I was fascinated by all the different choices. I settled for a red Valsurf branded skateboard, and they took it off the wall and built it for me. I was thrilled to have this new skateboard and the possible chance it gave me to be a cool kid. I was It was time to start practicing. I found it very hard to even ride on it at the beginning, and I spent many hours outside trying to get the hang of it, and that was that. I was now a skateboarder, though not yet good enough to reveal myself as one of the uh as one to the kids at school this was the start of an obsession to copy everything the supposed cool kids were doing okay so that's the last paragraph of part two 
Um, part three is called The Last Period of Contentment, ages 9 to 13. And I suspect um, that towards the end of part three is going to be when it starts getting a bit disturbing. Based on a couple of comments about his little sister, I have a feeling that that relationship is going to go somewhere I'm not comfortable with in his hatred for his sister because of her gender. I have a... a and I've got to say, um, there are some sure war warning signs here, but they're not big enough to make a parent think they need to take any big actions. I mean, lots of kids are shy and jealous. It's not super uncommon and it seemed like he had some traits that made his parents worry a bit less you know with having interests and having friends you know um but now that he's trying to copy everything the supposed cool kids do that's obviously going to end badly because he's not being himself and if there's anything that everybody has heard a million times it's just be yourself um and it's a cliche that's true because you're not going to be happy any other way. So he is about to plummet himself into a deep depression, clearly, um, by not letting himself be himself. So part three is probably going to have more violence, I would, I would assume, and dark thoughts from him. So tune in next week for that. Um, and the 14 to whatever a 14 to 18 probably um section after part three um so parts three and four will be in the next episode of the podcast and um obviously part four is going to be quite disturbing so um get ready for that if you're tuning back in and if you've been here for this long uh then thank you for enduring this uh very sweet of you I'll see you next week for a much more disturbing episode. Bye. But it's hard to give it to someone when I don't love myself. No, I don't love myself.